Welcome to the next episode of The Noise News. This will be our last episode of 2020. Today we're having a very special episode. We're having a panel discussion about women in noise control. I'm hoping this can be a resource for young women in the industry uh, to hear the experience of some very successful people, but also a useful discussion for anybody in the industry who's interested in advancing uh, the careers of young engineers. So today, I'm joined by a larger than normal panel of some very accomplished professionals. I'm joined by Victoria Cerami, CEO of Cerami and Associates in New York City, Patricia Davis, a professor at Purdue and former president of INTS USA, Steve Sorensen, a VP of membership for INTS USA, and I'm joined by Lily Wang, a professor at the University of Nebraska and former president of the ASA. I'd like to start off by asking each of you to share a defining moment in your career, something that looking back on now has helped share your career into what it is now. Victoria. So I guess my story is unusual for probably that of the people that are on the, uh, on, in the, on the podcast. Um, my dad was an acoustical engineer and from the way I looked at it, he brought acoustics into the practical world. And I was a tomboy who just wanted to be like my father. And so my dad uh, started the firm in 65 and I took over at his passing in 1987. He, you know, as I said, pragmatic solutions to acoustics and very uh, old fashioned work ethic. So I, when I took over uh, when I was 27 and now at age 60, I've been working in the field of acoustics. I look back at my father and will always hold on to how he approached practical solutions in design and continue to innovate. He was my mentor and somebody that I hope to emulate and hopefully people in my firm will take on his attributes as well as the uh, my own, what, what I've brought to the party relative to, to my career. Great, thanks, thanks Victoria. Lily, same question. Yes, an important defining moment of my career. That actually was deciding to pursue a PhD. When I was 15 years old, that's when I learned about the area of acoustical consulting. I learned about it in a physics textbook in high school. And after seeing that, I was like, yes, I want to design concert halls. So after finishing my bachelor's degrees, there weren't any jobs opening for designing concert halls at the time. So I was advised to get a master's of science degree. And everyone in the field that was an acoustical consultant at the time kept advising me not to get a PhD. But there was a mentor that discussed it with me, and that has changed my entire career because it allowed me to then do a postdoctoral research fellowship in Denmark, and then allowed me to accept a faculty position in Nebraska. And 20 years have passed since then, and I am very pleased with my career. I love working on solving problems related to building acoustics and noise control through academia. So it was that moment of making that decision to do a PhD. Great. Well, the whole acoustics community is, is thanking that mentor right now. <laughs> uh, Steve, what about you? I was growing up, I wasn't uh, really thinking about being in engineering at all. I didn't have any engineers in my family, uh, unlike uh, Victoria, who had the role model. But I you know, like music, I like to play the piano, saxophone, guitar. But I realized that I was not good enough to be a musician as a, a vocation or a profession. And I thought, okay, I like doing this, let's keep it fun and interesting. But I, I did like the area of acoustics. 
as it related to music. So I went to engineering school because it seemed like a good way to have a job after I graduated and uh, tried to focus on sort of the acoustics and vibration aspect. And that's how I got to where I am today. I've been continuing to do that since I graduated. Right, yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of us pr are probably failed musicians in the background of all of this. <laughs> uh, Patricia, how about you? So I was a mathematics undergraduate at the University of Bristol, and they had the thing that we had to do a project in the summer at the end of our second year. And it could be on anything, so long as you could find somebody to supervise you. And a professor there had suggested something on acoustics. And so I spent the summer at home at the local library doing some research on hearing loss in industry. And it's funny how these small decisions, somewhat small decisions, really affect the path of your career. Because when I finished that project, professor said, why don't you think about doing graduate work? And I had not really thought about doing that. And he told me about the Institute of Sound and Vibration Research. Well, I went off and did something like Peace Corps for two years, but at the end of that time, I remembered him and I wrote a letter to the Institute of Sound and Vibration Research and say, how would I go about doing you know, a PhD or a master's degree? And they had a fellowship and they said, just fill in this form and come. And uh, it's been a series of lots of different opportunities since uh, then, a great environment to, to do research in, and then coming to Purdue, and just many moments that have been helpful and great people who have mentored and helped me and uh, given me leadership opportunities that have been really valuable. And yeah, it's been great, but it, I can stem it all back to that, what I chose to do a project at the end of my second year at Bristol. So. It's uh, interesting. So Patricia, I'll stay with you. What is it like to be a woman in engineering? Like, do you feel your gender gives you a different perspective and experience from your male counterparts? Or are there any advantages to being a woman in a predominantly male field? That's a lot of question there. Definitely, I think being a woman, you do bring different perspectives, as do people from lots of different areas. So diversity is really important in, in engineering. I mean, engineers design and make products work for all kinds of people. Therefore, engineers need to be all kinds of people. So, yes, I think more perspectives that you have, the better products are going to be for people. What's it like being a woman in engineering? Uh, some days it's great, some days not so great. Um, you know, but I think that's true of many jobs. I would say diversity of perspectives on problem solving is really, really important. But the other thing that's really important is having a, an environment that welcomes different perspectives and people from different backgrounds. I work with a great group of people and it, Mostly, you know, bidets are, are great, but occasionally I'll step out of that group and I go in and a lot of those old stereotypes still present. And it's a shock because my, my local working group, it's not like that. Uh, so, um, yes, the, having a, an environment that's supportive and really welcomes different things is incredibly important. Mm. And uh, so, Victoria, you're CEO of the largest woman-owned acoustic design and technology consultancy firm in the United States. Um, what's it like being a woman um, in engineering from that perspective? You know, it's funny. I, I think in 
I really, and this might sound, you know, kind of crazy, but I really don't see, I don't identify as a woman in engineering. I consider myself an engineer who happens to be a woman. Uh, so I look at my role and I, I think at this point in my career, my competency and capabilities is what speaks at a conference table and a, with a client. Is there still a chauvinism or in, inequality? Uh, I, I, yeah, there is. I mean, I think that that is pervasive everywhere in, and what's happening now in the country. There are true issues of prejudice and inequality, uh, and it exists in a subset in our world for sure. I feel at this point, and everybody on the phone comes to a table with tremendous acumen, technical acumen, and also the experience to be able to navigate those types of characters that may come from an old paradigm. And some of the younger people in their 30s or 40s are a little bit more subtle in the way they they are they do look at it at at uh, women in the in the workforce but i'd say look to young women who might be listening to this i think you need to show up you need to have good role models and uh all of my role models were men and um, i think that that's the way i look at it and i think the answer to your question is is why what do women bring to the table i think everyone of every shape size and color brings their lens of the world and in building design, which is where I work, it's very much needed because all of us work and play in those buildings that we're building. So um, the women's voice, a woman's voice, uh, is very important in how we look at projects. So I'm not sure if I answered it. I'm just gonna say, I, if anyone takes away anything, it's um, I'm an engineer and I happen to be a woman. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very, very important message for people to hear. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that, Victoria. Recently, I've read that about 70% of people experience feelings of imposter syndrome at some point in their life or their career. Have you ever experienced these kind of feelings? or uh, And if so, how did you deal with them? No, I think it's an interesting one. And I might have shared this with you before the call was uh, at MIT, um, at Sloan School of Business, the number one reason why women go into MBA programs is because of the imposter syndrome. And I, um, I, I did my I did my MBA there, and I would say of my class, which was or my, uh, there might have been 120 in the class, and it could have been nearly 60 percent or 40 percent, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent were women. All of the women that were in the program had master's degrees or PhDs. I'd say they were fluent in multiple languages. I was probably of all the characters. I had a bachelor's degree and can barely speak English. These were very accomplished, very, very accomplished women. The primary reason they were in uh, at Sloan was because of the imposter syndrome. And it is absolutely amazing at looking at who these women are. And, and I think that it's something I definitely face. And while I answered the question prior to this to sound very strong, um, I can put on a really great act. Uh, and I think that that's something I suffer from and I'm not sure who else, but I know it is something that exists in my class at MIT was a, a lot of data points to suggest that the imposter syndrome lives. Right. Uh, Lily, how about you? 
Oh yes, I definitely have experienced feelings of imposter syndrome at even like probably in the past month. Um, I had a tendency when I first got into acoustics to attribute much of the success I was having to luck. I remember I used to really like the Britney Spears song, Lucky, because I was like, oh, that's me, I'm just lucky. And so I wasn't attributing it to hard work or abilities. And you know, looking back on it, I think that those feelings likely developed because I was raised by parents with really high standards. And so I had this development towards being a perfectionist. I was used to excelling and being the best. So in those moments when I wasn't, that very scary thought would come into my head that, oh, I'm really a fraud. I'm not as great as everybody thinks. It, that thought would become very loud. And I did find when I was younger, studying engineering in a predominantly male environment, that I found that working in study groups with other female students helped me manage some of that. And as I've gotten older, I've tried to read up a lot more about what causes these feelings and what I can do in those moments. And I try to reflect on when it's happening. And I, as I've been doing that, I find that it's much more likely that I feel that way when I'm in a situation where I'm afraid of looking stupid. If I'm afraid that I don't have something valuable to contribute, it also happens more when I don't feel a sense of belonging, which leads to that lack of confidence. So the situation I was in recently, it was a, a group of five people. The other four were very highly accomplished men who had different areas of expertise. And I didn't have any relationship to them or any trust, but it seemed like they had relationships with each other and, and good camaraderie. And so then I did, I felt like I didn't belong. And, and I was worried about that maybe I didn't have anything valuable to contribute. So I do still have those moments. And what I do try to do is acknowledge them gently to myself and try to become more comfortable in that moment when I'm feeling fear and uncertainty. And I honestly just try to get out of my head and those feelings and try to focus on the task at hand. Like, okay, stop feeling this way. What is it that I'm supposed to be communicating or getting done? And that I find has been helping me. Good stuff. And uh, Steve? Well, to, uh, you know, one of the things Lily mentioned was uh, if you feel a, or if you don't feel a sense of belonging to the group, that can be amplified. And, you know, I, I know that especially you know when you work for a large organization like I do or, and have in several other places in the past you know when you're starting and everybody seems to know all the acronyms and the phrases and what they actually mean it can be a little bit intimidating and you can wonder like you know why am I here <laughs> what am I what am I doing and what am I contributing to this that somebody else couldn't do just as well so and that's I think comes from a sense of being an outsider I think in general, I would think that everybody who has some sense of introspection probably has, you know, got to have some doubts or at least acknowledgement that, yeah, you know, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the pencil box. Someone else can always do better. But you, you know, in, in some way, you've got to find some basis of, yeah, I, I know this, I can do this. And, you know, here's the objective evidence of, you know, this project I did in the past, this, that, or the other thing. And just hold on to that and say, yeah, okay, I can do this. I can build on it. I've done it before. I can do it again. Great stuff. Yeah, I think those are good, 
good, good thoughts. Earlier when we were talking about the landmark moments, a number of you mentioned uh, the role that different mentors played in your lives. Some of our listeners to this podcast will be, you know, young professionals just starting out in their career. What advice would you give those young professionals to, uh, to kind of take advantage of uh, any mentorship relationship they might have uh, just starting out in their career? Lily, from a, an academic perspective, what, what, would you, uh, what would you suggest? So to the mentees, I would suggest that they look for, uh, look for mentors in many different areas, like, and, and that they take the time to develop those relationships with those mentors, looking for those that they can trust that want the best for them. I, in a recent, um, other podcast I was listening to, you know, they talk about how building trust is like one marble in the jar at a time. And so I think that's what the mentees should be looking for. Like, you know, those people who that they are building a relationship with. And then when they have a big jar of marbles, this is the person that they can um, really trust for good advice. And when they feel that sense of relationship with such a mentor, they should listen with an open mind and reflect on what they hear from that mentor. Because sometimes they'll hear things that they didn't want to hear, like you should get a PhD. I will also acknowledge now that that mentor was Vic Sparrow at Penn State, who uh, is a very esteemed member of the Institute of Noise Control Engineering. And so Vic is the person who sat me down and I didn't want to hear about getting a PhD, but I had built up a good relationship of trust with him. And then I listened with an open mind and thought, hmm, okay, I should try this. Right, so you think people should be kind of brave enough to, to trust to trust their mentor. Mm-hmm. I guess that's, that's the key. Uh, Victoria, what about you? What would you hope that you're, say, a, a young professional starting out in the consultancy world, world what, what, what do you think they should do to um, take advantage of any relationship they might have with mentors? Well, I'll say that my mentor was not an acoustical engineer. Um, my mentor was an architect. And I don't know, and I'd say this, this is a, a not great answer for a young person looking for a mentor, but I don't actually know how I found him. Um, and I think it's just keeping your eyes open to see who you make a connection with. And the person doesn't necessarily have to be in the field of acoustics. So I say there's a difference between someone who's a mentor and someone who's a sponsor. And so he was more, I was pretty like a mentor and a sponsor. So someone, a sponsor willing to put their name and advocate for you, where a mentor is also giving you guidance as Lily was describing. And uh, where in both relationships, however, there is a very strong, strong trust. So he was a, a colleague and I began to ask him questions and then slowly uh, 25 years later, you know, has been uh, instrumental to me and helping me in my career. So I'd say to young people, keep your eyes open, be willing to ask questions. And anytime you ask anyone to, for help, probably 97% of the time people will, will take you on. And there are the 3% that won't have time for you. And you can just drop kick those people. <laughs> stick with 97% of the people that are willing to help and you'll never know what, what kernel might come of it. Yeah, that's good. Good advice. Good advice. Okay, so more, more broadly speaking then, um, what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion in the field of noise control or indeed uh, acoustics in general? Um, Steve, as a VP of membership of INS USA, have you any thoughts on diversity and inclusion? Sure, I we don't you know we don't keep demographic uh, data on you know the, on that kind of information, 
but I can, you know, usually infer from a name, you know, who's male and who's female. I am always, you know, glad to see when we've got more women applying because I think it is a tends to be a male-dominated field. I've worked in a, you know, a large number of different uh, engineering settings, and uh, you know, pre predominantly in the automotive industry. And sometimes that can get to have sort of a boys' club feel to it. And you know, there's this sort of macho uh, persona that goes with driving cars fast and things like that. And it really doesn't contribute to diversity and inclusion. I'm, I'm happy to say most of that I experienced much earlier in my career, and I really don't see that so much now. But I, I think it is, you know, critically important to include all perspectives because. You know, I don't know what is the, the the full usage of you know the product that my company is making, and it's used by the you know the entirety of of society. So we need to fully understand what people are doing, and you know I think you have to have representation from uh, all of society to to really make something that serves all of society. And uh, Lily or Patricia, have you seen anything in the the world of Academia, what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion, particularly kind of from an acoustics perspective? Yeah, um, well, I have seen a, a big change in engineering in terms of the number of women professors. I was the first one at Purdue, and so things are gradually improving. But in the noise control area, I, I think the numbers are still pretty low. I, I'm pleased that the Institute of Noise Control Engineering have over the last few years really um, made a big effort to increase the number of uh, women in leadership positions and uh, the in-sport directors meetings now are much more balanced and uh, I think that's been a great improvement but I think we still have quite a, a way to go uh, when you look at the actual numbers of women in, and you know you look at a, something like our noise control paper competitions, how many of the people submitting to the competition, how many of those grad students are women. It's, the numbers are still quite low, so I think we still have quite a lot of work to do there. I'd agree with what Patricia's saying. I mean, it, it is a problem with engineering in general that diversity and inclusion is not great. I am currently an associate dean of faculty and inclusion in a college of engineering, and so I been paying a lot of attention to this and I actually did look up some data I had access to on what the membership of a technical committee in noise had and it was similar to what we see in much of engineering less than 20% of those members were female compared to 51 and a half percent of the general population less than 5% were underrepresented minorities and about a quarter or maybe under the age of 40 so there's diversity in lots of different areas and I do think that we could do more in noise control to to be matching maybe the general population, but it's a very difficult problem to tackle. I've been learning more about why people persist in STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, math fields, and why they might switch. And there does seem to be real systemic issues that lead to females and underrepresented minorities in particular leaving engineering. And I'm sure that's happening in noise control too. So I. I think there's a lot of movement and positive energy, just like uh, Patricia stated, with INS in particular. And I, myself in education, am working hard on trying to figure out how we can 
embed inclusive excellence better into all of our practices. So I think not just in academia, but hopefully in the noise control industry, that people can have better awarenesses of the, their biases and be better trained to interrupt biases when they see them happening in a non-judgmental way. And then particularly in academia, we're working hard on making sure our faculty are being trained in more inclusive teaching practices so that we're not always just using examples that are just maybe the white male yeah. authors or something, but trying to use broader ranges of identities. Can I just add uh, to, the, uh, to that? I, I think uh, there's a, a really important role for people to be allies to uh, minorities and learn to recognize signs where people need somebody to speak up for them as well. So we can all be allies and, you know, intervene and, you know, deflect sort of negative situations. So to try and make this a welcoming environment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I guess that leads me to my, my final question. Um, like, I, I guess we all know that the benefits of diversity and inclusion for individuals, for businesses and for society in general, the benefits are very clear. So what one thing do you think is critical to improve our current position? Victoria. Yeah, no, I'm on the um, I'm on the board for the New York Building Congress. And actually today we um, had put together an issuing it's called Working Together um, Equity and Inclusion Task Force Manifesto. And it, the Building Congress is represented by all of the, the premier uh, developers, architects, engineers, anyone that works in the built environment. And it is a, a task force basically signing on to creating safe and meaningful discussions and decision makings, acknowledging and confronting uncomfortable truths uh, to, um, and I think it was what Patricia said, is to, um, to help, to explore, to have curiosity. Uh, to, and it's it, all of the things that have already been echoed by Lily and Patricia in terms of academia. It is the last bit of the manifesto says, I'm committed to serving the greater good. And I trust that everyone else here is too, which really echoes being together. But I think it's a big statement to say that the New York City Building Congress has put together this manifesto, sending it out to probably 10,000 members saying, this is what who we are. And it's a step in the right direction. Right now it's words, uh, but it is words too that are put out to a very important population that need to change. Yeah, and that need to hear it, I guess. Yes. Steve, have you anything to add? Uh, sure. I think by the time we're looking for at pools of perspective, uh, students or prospective employees, there's a whole lot of filtering that's already happened. And a, a lot of people have already sort of, you know, taken themselves out of the STEM area due to, you know, just societal influences one way or the other. It, it seems like to, to really level the playing field, we have to start much earlier in the process. I mean, where we're at in noise control engineering, it's, it's already a, a specialty, but you have to kind of go further back in the process and you know make this an appealing and doable uh, option for people who are young and have that ability to say, okay, I want to focus on this, I want to focus on that. I don't have any great solutions for how you do that, 
but I think that's where a lot of the um, uh, effort has to be made to to increase the pool of people who you know really represent the the fullness of society you know at at our level as well. Mm-hmm. And Patricia, you had mentioned that you think it's important that everybody sees the opportunity to be an ally. Is there anything else? Is there any other critical thing you need to, you think needs to happen? You know, I, I think working on the environment uh, where and thinking about, you know, an environment where everybody feels they can contribute and you help them to contribute. I think uh, in some places, you know, so you can give out fellowships and things like that. So if we did build up that pool, uh, but even if they have financial support, they need to really enjoy being in that environment. And I think sometimes we're comfortable in the environment we are, but other people are not. And I think the important thing to do is to recognize uh, what this environment might feel to all the other people in the group. And and why is that, that the case if they don't feel welcome? And how can we change that? And the good news about being thoughtful about this is that you end up creating an environment that works for everybody better uh, when you uh, try to address these these issues. So being a lot more analytical about w- when an environment is working for people or when it is not and why and how to make that better. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I guess we're, we're just about out of time. So um, I wanted to, uh, to thank you all for joining us. You've been quite generous with your time today. So so thank you very much for uh, for coming on the Noise News to talk about women in noise control. Real quick, uh, do you have any personal takeaways that you want to share with our listeners before we go? Victoria? I just, it's absolutely a pleasure to hear um, insights from other colleagues. Uh, and I'm delighted to have met you, Lily. I've, we've met a long time ago, but really delighted to, to share this this time together and I've learned something. So uh, I'm sure the listeners will as well. Thanks, Victoria. Um, Lily? Yes, um, uh, I just wanna say I love working in the field of noise control engineering. I love the impact that our work has on the greater community, but I definitely second what um, my the other panelists were saying about what we could do better, which involves a lot of self-reflection from all of us in the community, not just thinking that it's another somebody else's problem, but we actually all need to be engaged with fixing it and thinking about what's wrong with our systems and what we can do to improve it. I look forward to working, to supporting many more generations that have greater diversity and inclusion. Um, Steve, any takeaways? Yeah, I, Owen, I'm uh, glad we're doing this. Uh, you know, you might uh, uh, listen to a, a noise news podcast and expect uh, a technical topic. And I, I'm glad we're really focusing on the human elements and how to, to make this, uh, you know, a, a diverse and welcoming place for, for everybody. You know, we, we want to take advantage of all the expertise that's out there. Great. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, I think this is an important message. So it's something that we we wanted to cover on the noise news it's 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 and it's not just noise it's really society and engineering in general and uh, patricia believe it or not when i was doing my phd i knew who you were because of all your publications so um i'm going to leave the last word to you any um any takeaways that you'd, you'd like to share 
Um, I think uh, when I look back at moments in, in my life, it's been wonderful to have people who give you opportunities and also, you know, uh, appreciate what you are. And I think it's our role to sort of give back and remember that it's always good to be positive and helpful. And so we should all try every day to give encouragement to others because while it might seem quite a small thing day by day, I think it means a lot to the people receiving it. And I, many times in my, my career, uh, people just saying something nice and I didn't realize you know, that they appreciated what I did and it meant a lot to me. It doesn't happen to have to happen every day, but just to take the effort to uh, praise and congratulate and encourage people and to give them opportunities to show some of their skills like leadership opportunities and get them to help on projects and things like that. I think we can all do things like that that makes it a better work environment. Great. I think that's a great, a great note to finish on. And I, I think we leave it there, folks. So th thanks very much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. It was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. Please be sure to be on the lookout for NNI on noisenewsinternational.net and stay tuned for the next podcast. In the meantime, don't be afraid to get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at NNI Editor.